This podcast is sponsored by Chargeify. Chargeify provides specialized billing and data management tools to give B2B SaaS companies the competitive edge. Over the past 12 years, Chargeify has partnered with champions in SaaS like SpendSpark, Mailgun, Connect, and EarthClass Mail to streamline their billing processes, build and nurture lasting relationships with customers, and strategically optimize their organizations for long-term growth. Chargeify's innovative software empowers every B2B SaaS company to step into the future of billing. Visit chargeify.com forward slash SaaSdoc to learn more. If you're one of the world's nearly 1 billion spreadsheet users, you're likely familiar with the time-consuming effort that goes into formatting, emailing, and sharing your spreadsheets. That's exactly why Grid is here to help. Grid is a no-code web tool that transforms your important spreadsheet data into compelling visual narratives and interactive web documents. If you use spreadsheets to construct complex growth models, revenue projections, or strategic analysis, Grid will give you your work that wow factor. Grid lets your team interact with your spreadsheet models, compare scenarios, and share them securely in minutes. With Grid, you'll never email another spreadsheet again. Sign up for free at www.grid.is. That's G-R-I-D. The only way you can step away or step aside and move up being more holistic and spend more time on the branding and hiring and strategy and funding and all these important things as CEO, you need to have the right people in all positions, in all layers of management and leadership. And I definitely have learned, would have loved to learn that before, how much time you need to invest and how much you need to understand from a personality, from a talent, from an experience perspective to really figure out who are, who are the, the right people that can help you with that because otherwise you will become a bad CEO. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host Alex Thuma and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, Zero to 10 edition. I'm your host, Alex Zuma, CEO of SaaStock, and delighted to be joined today by Mads Vasilius, uh, who's the CEO and co-founder of Dixa. Welcome, Mads. Thank you, Alex, and a pleasure to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, uh, excited to have you, you here. Uh, as I mentioned to you before we were recording that this is the first um, you, you know, episode of a new series that we're doing within the SaaS Revolution show uh, called Zero to 10 Million, where we chart the journey you know, of a, a company and a founder from you know, their journey to zero to 10 million in ARR. So excited to test this out with you. Um, we've got six others, uh, great founders kind of lined up uh, that, that we'll hear their journey from. Uh, and I understand for, uh, for you, for, um, uh, for uh, Dixa, that uh, it, it was fairly sort of recently, you know, a couple of months ago, um, that, uh, that that you crossed this uh, uh, milestone, uh, which is a pretty big milestone in a, in a, in a SaaS company's life. So uh, congrats on that. Thank you, Alex. Uh, we know you're a CEO. We know you co-founded Dixer. Uh, and, and certainly those that are listening, uh, you know, we've just informed them that. But who are you, you know, uh, as a person? Who, who is Mads Vesalius? 
Yeah, great question. Not the question you 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 give most often. It's, it's much more about the professional side, but it's it, of course that is a, a combination <laughs> for sure. So um, yeah, I I've been um, since I was uh, quite young. I've been um, I've been working in this industry actually. So if we don't have to go all the way back to childhood, uh, then to to the young years. I was actually starting um, my first job, real job, out of in Copenhagen was being a contact center agent. So I actually started. You know, on the floor, taking phones, dealing with emails with angry customers and happy customers, and trying also to sell things through telemarketing to to people. So, I've definitely done my uh, fair share of uh, challenges in that world. I quickly moved on into becoming a customer service manager, um, then um, uh, going actually directly into IT and software development within the call center contact center space. So we were working in this big BPO in the Nordics, um, one of the largest in, in Europe at that point. So uh, dealing with customers like Dell, Interflora, and many of the e-commerce darlings out of, uh, of the Nordics. So it was a great time being there uh, in my uh, early 20s um, and actually dealing with quite sophisticated technology, starting to build software with my team, and then also dealing with very big customers. So that was um, that was me on the professional side in the very young days. Uh, I also have, I'm a, I'm a, a keen goalkeeper. Um, I really tried to become a professional goalkeeper, but that ended around that 18, 19 when, uh, when I went to business school and um, uh, yeah, started partying and, and began to, to look much more into uh, the nerdy side of things, being a software developer and, uh, and being uh, focused on, on customer service tech. So other than that, um, today um, we can fast forward because we're probably going to go through some of the questions and then I'll touch upon uh, how we got to um, to Dixa, but uh, today uh, proud father of three boys. Uh, so a lot of football is still in my life, as you know. I never made it to uh, to the Premier League or anything, um, but I did play in the third best series. So I, I'm I'm trying now to get my kids to <laughs> to do the same, um, and um, I'll maybe go into software and SaaS one day. And then I have my amazing wife being very supportive uh, through many many companies. So Dixa is my fourth company. So she's been. She's been with me on, on, on these many crazy journeys. Um, yeah, living just out of, outside Copenhagen, uh, but traveling when I can. Not the past year uh, to our offices in, in London, now also New York, Melbourne, Berlin, um, Kiev, and, 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 and many other places. So that was kind of the, 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 the quick one, at least from, you know, from, from youth to, to now. And then there's a lot of stuff in between that we that, that, cover in it so, I, I didn't know uh, that this is your fourth business why don't, why don't you uh, sort of quickly tell us about the other three and you know what did you learn from those and what are the successes or, or, or failures sure so all the business that i found has been centered around um uh, my my idea and vision around ending bad customer service so um let's look at today but but that was also the same thing uh, 15 20 years ago more than ever, customers, they are increasingly seeking a, a real connection with brands, right? So, and vice versa, by the way, um, via meaningful relationship, by different touch point, different channels. That was actually the same back in 2000. So what I did at my first company, I, I tried to build the first, you know, omnichannel solution, not by building everything from scratch, like we did with Dixa, but trying to glue things together, legacy platforms like Avaya, Cisco, and Genesis. And, you know, the, the rulers of the world back then, um, that was the first company, three guys that came out of this PPO. We were we were basically the uh, development team that then um, spun out and then started our own company. Um, and uh, we had that for five years, very successful, 
building contact center, call center platforms uh, and, and, and the software in between where they had huge gaps, especially on the omnichannel side. Um, and then we that was acquired by a, a French Nordic um, cloud provider called Cirque. Um, so Cirque was um, a cloud company um, focusing on collaboration um, and customer engagement, so uh, customer service, um, and big partnerships with Microsoft, uh, Avaya, and Salesforce. So our software was, then became a very important part, actually the center platform for this company. And then we started to develop a lot of self-service apps and everything. And I, we really saw a company going from, from, from uh, like 30 employees to, to 100. And we, we witnessed, again, the same problem that even though we tried to solve the omnichannel challenge with building, you know, glue it together, st- stitch it together. We even had Sendesk coming in as a, as a part of the, of the puzzle. Uh, it was it was the best, uh, not of the worst, but it was the best we could we could do in the Nordics and, and France. And, and many many brands came on board, um, where we tried to to get them out of the silos. Um, didn't succeed, but we we did very successfully. So after after five years, it was acquired by a huge telco called TDC, just like British Telecom, the incumbent giant uh, out of uh, of Scandinavia. And that was a very successful exit, but the first big exit for me, to be honest. Um, and um, also was basically the catalyst to to starting Dixa, which we did very secretly under the radar. Um, it, we were allowed to do, uh, but I don't think they knew what Dixa was about. Um, and then uh, just before uh, the acquisition by TDC of uh, Cirque, we um, we basically sat three guys in the kitchen, four, four people in the kitchen, four friends. Uh, that founded Dixa and then said, we have now witnessed for two, for a decade at least that we cannot glue things together. We cannot build some software overlay or in between. We have to start from scratch, guys. Crazy idea, super ambitious, and very few investors in the beginning uh, uh, believed that um, that we could pull this off. Um, so that was um, so th- those companies are very much, I, w- I would say, a four-burner for, for, for Dixa, and it, it took me quite some time to to get to the realization that I had to st- we had to start from scratch, build it from scratch, um, and actually build a complete platform in order to uh, to conquer the world and um, yeah, and build uh, the one platform to replace them all, the ticketing systems, uh, the call center systems, and the, the live chat and what have we today. Yeah, so, so that was a story on on those companies. So it's it seems obviously. Um... Well, after three businesses and like, you know, that the big exit, instead of retiring into the sun or, the, you know, the local kind of uh, beaches and, and summer houses, that your your life's work was really trying to, uh, you know, figure out this this kind of puzzle and solution. And now this is what you're you're doing with uh, with, with Dixer from those three businesses. That's kind of that's been that progression to, to, to what you're doing, uh, what you're doing now. Um, and what, so when when you um, I guess you had the idea, you sat around the table. Um, how long from that idea to you actually launch the product, or you had a product to launch? Yeah, that's a great question, and it took much longer than we uh, had ever anticipated. So our great idea of um, of uh, you know taking out all of the, uh, the the vendors in the different silos in the big industries. Uh, there was, of course, a reason why they hadn't uh, just done it because it was super difficult. So it took us actually from late 20- 2015 
um, until um, the late late 2016 uh, before we were able to have just a, a beta product and we could try to to get some of the e-commerce uh, leading e-commerce brands of the of the Nordics um, and and kind of co-develop like a very customer centric um, low practical MVP uh, approach. Uh, so we basically built it with Interflora and a company called Saxo.com, very big in the Nordics, like an Amazon uh, kind of company, um, and then Bosch actually as well. Uh, so we're very lucky that they wanted to, you know, build with us, so to speak. Of course, it was our vision around omnichannel, conversational approach to everything, no ticketing, no CRM system, no B2B uh, kind of thing. That was very clear. And they, they wanted that. This was These were consumer brands. And then finally, in 17, we could soft launch um, in Scandinavia, mostly in Denmark. And, and, and some of the customers paid, uh, some did not, and um, some were POC, some failed. Uh, but actually, Interflora, Saxo, and, and Bosch are still with us today, which is a, a great story. So it actually took us um, all of 16, all of 17, before we then globally launched in January of 2018. So that was when, you know, a true SaaS company with a lot of inbound activity, um, cell phone boarding um, and, 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 and ready on phone, email and chat. So kind of close to omnichannel at, that, at least back then, the Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp was not that big at that time. Um, tell, yeah. tell, us, tell us about that, that global launch then. What was, what was the, the launch strategy, the global launch strategy? Yeah, so so what we did, we we got our first seed round in uh, in December 2017. So we 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 kind of wanted to to align that with with now we were, you know, we were funded. We had seed capital, uh, the, the the largest early stage fund out of Denmark. We had Preben Damgo, who's a very famous business angel Nordics. He was the the the, um, the gentleman that sold Navision to Microsoft in a three billion um, deal. So really good start and and some people that were very close to us have been following us for quite some time um and and that kind of resonated well in nordics uh, but also in, in in europe and we you know we, we used uh, the pr um effect to actually get um customers in 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 in, in, the, in the close markets but it also started as a classic marketing push where we we didn't have a lot of money that, you know, we got one and a half million in our seed round. So we had to be careful about our marketing budgets, but we did some smart things. I think we, um, we did some, some, some cold emailing from, from our, our lead team out of, um, of Kiev in Ukraine, really great, amazing people, university degree, really smart and personalizing. So we were very personalized, very picky on the e-commerce brands we wanted in, in Europe. And, um, the, the marketing campaign, as you know, customer friendship platform, we went out with a new thing, you know, death of tickets. We were very provocative in the way we went about it. So we actually got uh, a lot of signups and customers from, I remember the first customer was from South Africa and the second one was from Australia. And then, you know, followed many different countries, including UK and US. Uh, so the first quarter, um, we really, we really had a successful launch, but we also did a lot of initiatives and, you know, some of them, to be honest, did not work. So we did a pretty big thing um, on the back of, uh, of TechCrunch disrupts uh, that, that that didn't work, but we got investors, <laughs> so that was uh, that was nice. Um, we were just not a fit for other SaaS companies. We knew that, but we kind of thought that was a, a great um, effect. Um, so we we also did our fair share of mistakes the first three to, three to six months, but the global launch was 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 a success uh, for sure. What what about product market fit? Um, so, like how long roughly did it take you to 
to get product market fit and and what were the things would you say that you did to kind of enable you to get to that point yeah i, I think we were a little bit lucky and, and blessed that we we came from the previous company that that was acquired by the big telco we knew that the pain was growing um, every month for these e-commerce brands. So we had a, a love and an understanding around e-commerce brands. And that, of course, also were retailers going online and was also kind of the booming uh, industry around direct-to-consumer brands. They are all, you know, e-commerce brands. Uh, so that was a pretty big uh, vertical we, we could go after. And, you know, because we've built so closely with these customer service champions out there, and we actually had some of the first hirings we did into customer success and pre-sales, they were actually former um, directors of customer service. So they knew exactly uh, what were their structure. And we find out that nine out of 10, maybe today it's eight out of 10 of these companies, they sat with three, four, five siloed systems, one for phone, one for ticketing or email, one for chat, one for analytics, one for social media and so on and so forth. So we knew the fit was great. And we knew that e-commerce brands the most important thing for them, besides, of course, having a great brand, a great platform, a great product or service, was to differentiate and be stellar at customer experience and customer service. So it's still one of the biggest um, uh, ICPs, ideal custom profiles for us today. So, so we, we, we knew it, but the challenge was, of course, these brands were also quite sophisticated. So we had to go in and say, okay, um, X brand, what is your biggest pain right now? And many, many had huge pain on on phone and then they started to become having a big pain on the, on the email side. So we kind of went in with a kind of a land and expand um, approach, which was, um, uh, which was good. Otherwise it would be, it would be impossible for us to get in because we will come with a big platform and saying, okay, we have to replace five systems. What are you talking about? And you have been here for like three months in the market. Um, so I think that land and expand thing uh, on very, t- very focused on e-commerce. That was the, uh, that was the right approach for us. And, and on your journey to the first million in ARR, uh, what were some of the key challenges that you had uh, to overcome? Uh, and perhaps maybe um, some of the, uh, the, the, the tactics or strategies that you employed that really helped you get to uh, uh, that first milestone. Yeah. Uh, to, I, I've, I've been asked this question before, and I think for some it's... Um, it's it's a maybe a surprise or it's a little taking a little bit the sass romance out of things unfortunately. So uh, as much as we grew from from, uh, from 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 zero to to a significant ARR amount by inbound and from many different countries in the world, we knew that our platform was actually really great for mid market. So SMBs were great. They you know three four five customer service agents. We 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 definitely saw a great fit, but. The more data you have, the more conversations, the bigger the brand and the more consumers you have, because we are primarily for consumer brands, but today we're also for B2B brands. But back then, so we knew we had to go, all, we, we, we knew we had to use our brand and our platform vision story to speak to our close markets. So we had to go out, you know, my, my first three months as, you know, official CEO, I am the co-founder, I had to go out selling. I had to through my network, through great relations, um, you know, going on the highway and, and, and meeting customers because we knew we could get great brands that are great brands in the Nordic, but some of them also international, like Interflora, everybody knows uh, Interflora, the florist. Um, and, and the most effective way was that we actually, all the, all the people that could, especially some of the co-founders, we actually 
you know, went into the sales close, so to speak, as, as we say, um, and, 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 and did a great job. So, so we had the organic growth, the run rate business, and then we had the kind of, a, a for us, flagship brands that, that came in from Denmark, Scandinavia, Denmark, Sweden, um, and, and also uh, late in 2018, also starting in, in the UK. And then many of these were consumer scale-ups and startups, so they grew rapidly. And then we were lucky enough to get on that um, journey. Uh, a good example is the, uh, the food tech darling, Too Good To Go, which is you know fighting food waste around the world. Uh, now also in the US, they are close to 1,000 employees today and over 220 uh, customer service employees in, in our platform. But they started with five agents, I think. <laughs> so that dual strategy was the right thing. Um, and that, that got us very, very quickly. Actually, already within uh, nine months um, after the global launch, we, we hit the 1 million mark. Um, um, and, 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 and that was the, uh, you know, the, 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 the trick to do that in, yeah. in dual mode and not just sit there, wait only for the product-led growth or the, uh, the inbound uh, to kick in. No, it was great, uh, a great approach. And nine months is a, a fantastic time to, to, to hit that mark. Uh, I'm going to ask obviously the same question in terms of getting to, to 10 million in revenue, some of the, uh, the challenges that you had to overcome. But before I do, um, as we were talking about you, uh, I don't know, wearing the sales pants or jacket or, or, or how, how we sort of describe it. Certainly, you, you know, um, for founders, it, it, it's often sort of recommended that this is something the CEO should do, right? In that certainly zero to one or, or people say, you know, the first couple of years, um, you know, it, it, it sort of depends. And uh, the question is, I guess, kind of like now you've passed 10, how much time, if any, are you spending on sales, uh, um, sales, and then speaking to the customers because I guess it can be two different. Yeah, um, that's a great question. I am. Um, I I spent um, not zero time, but most close to zero time in in doing sales. So so um, you know if you know getting investors is also selling, but but the selling to customers I don't do that more. It's it's been it's been a, a, a some time uh, since I did that. But I am attending um, quite a lot, as many as I can, where it's relevant um, executive uh, briefings and then calls with, with our existing customers, of course, but also with new great brands that we want to, 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 to get inspiration, get insights. And of course, also when we, when we are in process. Um, I just did that today with an amazing uh, UK-based uh, direct-to-consumer brand. Um, and, and it's super important. And it's, it's a thing I, would, I will never miss if I can... I'm not saying that much. I promised the uh, the 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 CRO and the VP sales and the, and the sales uh, people to do to not uh, interrupt. But I am listening, and I'm of course also giving the the, the vision and the journey, um, which is important uh, for me also to to articulate to these. And so then on, on to the, the the question about the challenges in, in getting to 10 million ARR. Like if you pick out uh, a couple of of those that uh, you you solved, you know, had to overcome. To help you get to that that milestone, and also be interested to know like uh, the the length of time that it took you. As we know, uh, nine months to one million. You know how many uh, years to uh, to ten? Sure. Um, so first off, we can take take the numbers. So when we um, we went in January two thousand and nineteen. We had uh, yes, just over one million, um, and we went from from one to four point two in in 2019. So we 4xed uh, kind of the, um, the 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 revenues ARR, and the 
the primary reason was that we we succeeded uh, in getting into mid market. So we, we, we didn't drop our SMBs. SMBs are very important for us still. And, and some of them are growing. Many of them are growing. Um, and it keeps you on your toes because you have to be, you know, efficient, automated. Uh, you know, you're, you have to be uh, self-service oriented around your platform and all that, all those things. I think everybody knows about that. But it was the, uh, it was a bet, to be honest, because it is, it's a very difficult industry to be in. It's very fragmented. Um, there's a lot of competition, uh, especially from point solutions that, that are doing well on one channel or one area. So being a platform, you really need to, to, to understand your place um, and that you can only be strong if you kind of get it, it all, almost like get all the channels. If you just go in and, and, and being one channel, of course, that's, uh, that will not give the benefit to, to the brands. And, and for mid-market, that pain and that value is much bigger than the SMB. Um, so... We lifted our ACV significantly. We went in above uh, 10 customer service agents and got more and more um, amazing brands um, globally, over 100 agents as well. Um, and, and that was the only way we could you know, sustain that growth, but also because our product and platform become more and more relevant in that market space. And then we expanded, which was difficult to be honest. We also did our fair share of mistakes. We went into verticals, we went out of again. Um, but we, we expanded from e-commerce direct to consumer and went into uh, slowly went into gaming. By the end of the 2019, we went into um, not all fintech, but went into like insurance tech, um, went into transport and delivery. Um, so we, 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 we expanded where we could see the product market could be, you know, could be reused, so, so to speak. And then we had to double down. And that was that was tricky and tough to our, on our integrations. We had to introduce a VP partners uh, person, and you know it can take years um, to get any benefit out of, of you know being the platform play and then investing heavily into integrations because we had API. We were born with web services and APIs and all that, and that meant we had then we could we could reach broader. We can get into an ecosystem where we played well with you know e-commerce platforms. Of course, that's where we came from but also um, agent analytics platform, dashboards, all those things that are in the SaaS ecosystem that are relevant for customer engagement, at least. Um, and that was tough because we, we honestly, we burned a lot of money, right? We, uh, we, we had a great um, A round uh, by the end of 2018 from, from Project A Ventures in Berlin, so like 14, one, four million. But still, you know, doubling down on go-to-market, on marketing and, and, and product engineering, was a big bet, but it, but it, it paid off. Uh, but sometimes you see it, it doesn't pay off. And again, the learnings, maybe we went a little too broad, to be honest. So we had to cut back on some of the verticals that were too difficult or too enterprisey. Um, but it was great, great learning. Um, but, you know, it wasn't like a straight line. It was like navigating <laughs> from left to right and, and then figuring out like summer 2019, we, uh, we could see that now we can continue doubling down. And that's where we... Had huge growth from 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 summer to to December from July to December, and then uh, that year ended kind of with with uh, close to four as mentioned uh, or four point two actually, and then we we closed the Series B round um, with Notion Capital, um, uh, yeah, just before Christmas, and then it was announced uh, the year after uh, January February. What, what what about international expansion? So I, I know the. Um... A lot of companies, uh, and certainly I think when we first started SaaS stock, like you get to kind of Series A, they started to look at the US because the market was, you know, it's the biggest over there. 
in terms of software spend. Um, but what's your kind of story around international expansion and how that has benefited or, or not benefited uh, uh, growth? Yeah, I think it's a it's a good point that there's no no secret that we had a lot of interest and a lot of talks with uh, with VCs from the US when we when we kind of were uh, slingshotted into the Series B because we're actually just looking at an extension round on the on the A uh, to to ex- exactly focus more on our product engineering but also um, making a, a a a you know a I would say balanced investment into the US, um, but that then became a, a, a B round uh, also because we had a lot of interest from, from, uh, from, from the US. Um, however, what we saw, we were not ready to go all in on the US uh, uh, at the end of, of, uh, of 2019. Um, so we actually choose, uh, I would say, uh, the go-to SaaS investor of, of Europe with a lot of experience in, in taking uh, European companies to the US. So Notion Capital is a SaaS-only investor, uh, as you know, in TradeShift and you know, on Babel, or Paddle, a lot of great companies. Um, and that was important to keep, like we have the Project A Ventures, was a, a operational VC helping us with a lot of gaps because when you grow so fast and you're building a platform to disrupt a decade-old industry, a lot of uh, big, big players, um, then you have to, you know, make sure your product market fit and your organization is ready to, 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 to scale. So personally, I would hope that we could, you know, have done it in summer of 2019. But, but looking back on the advice we got from our existing board and from many great people, it was a very, very wise decision. And to also have a VC, a partner out of London, very close to us, that knew the game for the next uh, big adventure, uh, and then the, I think the biggest benefit, if you can, which is super difficult, and there's a lot of travel, um, a lot of headaches, and you have your sales team out of Copenhagen, London, or Berlin, or where you are, working odd hours to get U.S. clients on board. Um, so we succeeded in getting some you know, big, big companies and brands on board within gaming, within uh, food, with, with, within um, different, uh, both, both B2B and B2C tech. Um, and now we have the foundation to to actually go all in, more or less, in the U.S. So we now have an office in New York. We have a sales organization uh, ready there. Uh, we have some of the sales leaders sitting in San Francisco and Chicago. Um, and, and now we can actually, uh, this year, which we will, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the, this is the year where we're going for a Series C. Um, and um, I think... That's 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 a great way if you can get the foundation before you you get the big round from an American VC. I'm not saying it has to be an American VC, but it would make sense for us, I think, now to 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 take that uh, into account uh, when we run a Series C round. Is it is it sort of gone are the days of the the CEO or the co-founder having to start the U.S. office or having to move to the U.S. office a U.S. office? Um, I'm sure you, you've thought about it, but like, uh, are you you know planning that hey, we're going to uh, grow this global, uh, you know, billion dollar business, you know, from uh, from Denmark? Um, I mean, I just saw obviously like Trustpilot just IPO today, yeah. um, right? We see we're seeing it's happening more and more, right? Um, but it's certainly, again, looking back to four or five years ago, if I look at companies like Aircall and you know some other kind of European greats, um, they they've often like you know put their CEO in very early in the US. Um, so yeah, what, what, what have been your kind of personal thoughts around that? I think, um, 
I think that still is important, to be honest, whether it's the, the CEO or another uh, great CEO person or co-founder for that matter. It has to be someone with the roots in the culture and, 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 and the founding um, uh, journey, so to speak. Otherwise, it will be too difficult, especially from a cultural and talent perspective. Um, so that's definitely still in the cards for us. It's just very important that you don't leave your home market, so to speak, too early and you keep your foundation in Europe where you have product support functions you have all your loyal customers and um, you have a very big market in EMEA as well but that said uh, no doubt you know um, I call Intercom um, Sendesk um, all the uh, Sendesk also coming out of Denmark like Trustpilot and Unity many great examples um, of of this working Uh, I do think um, you don't have to do that early anymore um, because we are truly global, especially after COVID, we are a you know hybrid or, or remote organization. So many things can can be done. But as you are scaling and taking in uh, an American investor, for instance, I think it's important, um, and it it will be important for me. Uh, so you know, there's no uh, you know there's no promises, but but uh, but that has been discussed many times uh, here uh, at home with, with the family as well, and of course with the investors and board and 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 the, and the executive management team in, in Dixa. So we will do that. The question is uh, when could be soon. Uh, we just need to be able to travel first of all. Uh, but I, I agree, uh, we have to you have to do that in order to conquer a, a market like the US. Um, and 55 percent of our total dresser market is in the US. Uh, for our type of platform um, and industry. Uh, the question, not only when, but but where, and I guess may, potentially now you've got more options because again, what we've seen with the, with the pandemic is that now Miami's becoming a, a, a hotspot for you know being a tech hub. So maybe that's more attractive uh, than San Francisco. Who, who knows? But um, um, yeah, Miami Miami sounds nice and warm, uh, but yeah. at least East, I think East Coast is an important uh, first uh, stepping stone yeah. uh, when you are a European-based uh, tech company, and then uh, of course having presence in San Francisco. We already have that from from yeah. the commercial side. Yeah, and so like you've obviously got experience in three other um, uh, startups and businesses. Were you CEO across those businesses uh, as well? So the first one I was CEO, the second one I was COO. You can say um, um, I, I went in as, as part of the acquisition, so so almost got the title as co-founder. But of course, yeah, I, I couldn't be. <laughs> but but uh, I was leading the company with the CEO um, and uh, also with our current chairman of the board. He was also chairman of the board of that company. We took then uh, the company to to exit and uh, and and basically took um, old stuff to be honest and new stuff and combined it into a unified platform. Uh, uh, very successfully. So um, this is the, uh, yeah, um, I would say a second time as a, as, as a real founding CEO. Um, and then I also had two years, um, almost two years in, in the in the very big telco on earnout and and also waiting for for Dixit to to lift uh, to get its wings out. Um, and that was a uh, that was my uh, um, first corporate. Uh, C-level role where or SVP uh, that was uh, 550 people uh, inside that telco. So um, yeah, I have a very small, a medium, a very big corporate, and now a, a scale-up journey with Dixit to to become a, the global leader within customer experience. And obviously, I mean, we would think you know uh, experience helps you to to be a, a, a better CEO, to be a good CEO. What are the things that you've 
kind of done or uh, I, I just kind of learned an experience that, that have really kind of helped you be, uh, I guess, the CEO, CEO that you are today? Yeah, that's a very good question because that is uh, by far the most difficult thing I've ever done. Um, even though it's it's really tough to be in a big, big political uh, telco corporation or a very small company where you have to do everything, uh, like five to 15 employees, it, it, like my, my first startup when I was, I was young. Um, in, in a startup uh, going to scale up very quickly, many funding rounds in a few years, it, the toughest thing is to, to ch- almost change every three or six months. Um, as you need to step more and more away from the operational side and, and not being too detailed, but still you, you need to have a touch with it because if you just think everything's gonna, gonna fly like beautiful smooth processes and all that, that's still the only constant is chaos, right? Still, but you need to, to control it. I think I, 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 I have the benefit of being both in a corporate com- company, a mid-sized and, and a small kind of a, in, in, in my journey. And, and therefore I can balance the operational and strategic um, uh, from, from a, I would say, operational standpoint or, or management standpoint. But on the leadership side, it's, um, it is um, probably the most difficult thing. You know, I had uh, this great opportunity to talk about game changes, hiring game changes on Stop Remote uh, some weeks ago. Um, and I'm very, you know, transparent and humble about that. That's, that is the, the, the most difficult. The only way you can step away or step aside and, 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 and move up being more holistic and spend more time on, on the branding and hiring and um, strategy um, and funding and all these important things as CEO you need to have the right uh, people in all positions, in all layers of management and leadership. Um, and I definitely have learned, would have loved to learn that before, how much time you need to invest and how much you need to understand from a personality, from a talent, from an experience perspective to really figure out who, who are the, the right people that can help you with that. Because otherwise you will become a bad CEO. You will, um, will not have enough people in your management team and in the, the different leadership teams uh, throughout the organization to actually be accountable, to have the empowerment and responsibility. Um, and that's been a, a journey. I think it, it is for everyone, but there's not so many talking about it because it is super difficult and becomes in a scale of years, it becomes uh, you know evident for, for that. That's, that is the, the thing between a success and, and failure. And I still have a lot to learn there. Um, but, you know, I'm very happy to say today that I'm far from the smartest uh, guy in the room, which uh, I'm very happy about. So, um, and that's in the, that's not only in the management team, uh, it's in the different leadership teams in the different area organizations. So, so um, I think most important thing you can strive towards is become a, a facilitator that align your the people, um, the leaders, your, the, the stakeholders, the investors around around the vision and, and, and the journey, even though it is challenging from time to time, even though you will be challenged on, on, on cash and funding and metrics and everything, you need to stay firm on that. Um, and, um, and I'm trying to be good at that every day, uh, but still have uh, uh, a lot to learn, to be honest. So stay humble um, and stay, uh, or stay, stay visionary. If, if you could go back to the time when you founded the business, from obviously what you know now and have experienced you know, on, on your journey, what advice would you give yourself? That's a very, very good question. I think it links a little bit um, or relates to what we just talked about. I would have loved um, 
to have told myself if I could travel back that I should invest m- much earlier in um, in process and, and, and people uh, within the people and culture and talent acquisition. We did it quite early compared to many other companies out of uh, out of Copenhagen or the Nordic region, but but not early enough to 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 figure out who can you who can you take on this journey, not just for 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 a year, right? Because uh, even though that is the case for 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 some people in this journey, you can do things um, from a talent acquisition data point of view, from networking point of view, uh, that will put you in a much better position. Um, so I would uh, I would have loved to do that and then have uh, more advices on, on on that specific area earlier on. Uh, today we have that, and uh, and that's been a, a big big learning. Other than that, I think. Uh, I probably would tell myself um, and to all founders out there and CEOs, be super proud. Um, be uh, sometimes uh, go up in the helicopter, look a little bit more holistically at what you're building, and um, and and truly believe in your vision. Even though investors tell tell you that oh, there's also many competitors and that's not differentiated from everyone else, and you know, that's the nature of SaaS. It's uh, the most competitive and amazing area to to be in. Um, but of course, it is a lonely job being a CEO sometimes, um, and therefore you need to give yourself time to be proud of what you're building, regardless of what stage it's in. Whether it's you're getting your C round, you're getting your first paying client, getting getting your first beta test through, uh, really remember that uh, there's a lot of people not doing what you're doing because it's very difficult, especially from a a, a personality perspective. I think on, on that advice, it's fantastic. Uh, place to sort of wrap up the uh, uh, the show. Um, so really want to thank you, uh, Mads, for uh, being our first guest on Zero to Ten, which is uh, a sub-series of the SaaS Revolution show. Where can people find you online if they want to connect and, uh, and follow you? Um, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, and um, and of course the Dixit profiles. I'm also pretty active in uh, everything from uh, from our from our LinkedIn to, to Instagram to, to Facebook. Uh, and uh, I will also be on Clubhouse soon. I promised uh, <laughs> many people in Dixa to, to, to do that as well. But um, yeah, please reach out. Um, and I'm, I'm also to be found in, I think, in various uh, SaaS stock TV uh, uh, areas. Um, so, so, so please feel free. Good stuff. If, you, if you're joining Clubhouse, you have to join the SaaS stock club uh, and you'll come on and we'll, uh, we'll have to do a session on there uh, for sure. Uh, would, lo- would love to do that for good, sure. Good stuff. Thanks so much, Matt Fasalia, uh, CEO of Dixa, uh, for being a great guest today on the SaaS Revolution Show, Zero to Ten Edition. Thank you, Alex. Great to be here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS Doc conferences around the world.